Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. I have not named the episode because I still can't remember what it is. No one cares. You can read it on the uh, introduction on the description if you wish to. 400. Yeah. 400. Johnny, have you done a lot without me? Yeah, well, 250. I was going to say, because I'm sure the last one I did was around the 170s. So you've done a fair few without me. I hope they were good, and I hope you had some good guests. Yeah. Stephen Hawking. Bill Gates. Is Stephen Hawking still alive? Have I dreamt that he died? Uh, it, was a, it was a while ago. Did he die? He is uh, now to the East, yeah. Wow. Oh. I was about to say, I was thinking I'm sure he died, but now I'm thinking, oh shit, maybe it's one of those things where I thought he died and didn't. Good for him, but him. The one that was out a few years ago. Pretty good. Hmm. He, he got he like 10 years to live, apparently. And he lived for like 50. Yeah. Four years after. It's impressive. What a genius of a man. Ah, 14th of March 2018. It's been that long already, is it? It's a long time. It is a long time. But time flies, doesn't it? Mm. When you're having fun, or time you, when you get older, yeah, I was gonna say, I was say, time flies when you're having fun, or just basically suffering through a fucking global pandemic. Still, so. I, I remember when I was in Germany and there was a case about ten miles from where we were staying. I thought I'll be then, whatever. Didn't think anything of it really. People were like, "Oh, it's major." Yeah, yeah, whatever. And then look, uh, ten months later, still. In it. I, I had an almost identical conversation around uh, when I was working in London, I think it was the last week in February. In fact, actually, when I was also, you know when I text you saying I'm your way, but you I think you were working, so obviously we couldn't make up, but that was like back in March. Yeah, it was years ago, yeah. Yeah, well, I went to, I was working in London, I think, for a couple of days, then I went to, obviously, Cardiff, near you, um, and then I went to Bristol and Bath. And I had this conversation about those moments, obviously the time frame just before lockdown, where like in London, I got on the central line tube to, to go across over to uh, Tottenham Court Road. And I missed three tubes because of the amount of sheer volume of people on there. Eventually, I did get in. It was kind of one of those moments where I got in the doorway and couldn't go any further. And I literally had to duck as the concave like door went over my head. I had to always, like lean my head forward just to let the shape of the door go past. Um, that's how like rammed in. And then, you know, going all the way to fucking Bath and Bristol and stuff. And I, I look back now in this conversation I've had recently about it. It's like, I would never have done that had I known then what I know now. Because at the time, like when they were talking about the coronavirus and you know, potential pandemic stuff. I was like, ah, that's all right. Plant it down. I'll be fine. You know, it's not really going to be that serious. And it's only like probably not even a week later when it's like, yeah, we need to lock down because the cases are just the exponential growth on these cases is ridiculous. Mad. I mean, like you say, 10 months later or seven months later from then, but seven months later, like what the hell's going on? We are still in kind of panic mode. We are still, we always don't have any kind of... Uh, end in sight or solution in sight for this to disappear um, and next week it'll be Christmas and we'll have to spend it alone which is a bit, bit crap that's happening I don't think people are going to listen to that are they <clears throat> no no I mean really why should they after the after the after the BS the government pulled off the last few weeks you know 
It fundamentally is a problem in that they they've eroded any public trust by the sheer scandalous actions of themselves, the associations. Um, and I think people are starting to see through their their kind of intentions as to what they're doing in terms of kind of economic priority, uh, probably making themselves rich, and just basically not giving two hoots about the welfare of most of our population, which is a bit frustrating and hard to take, especially when they're then asking you to do things to save other people. You know, stay stay at home, wear a mask, all this stuff. It's like, it's not really surprising why people then think, two fingers, mate, why should I do it when, you know, oh, what's his face, pissing off the Barnard Castle for an eye test? Cummins, yeah. Dominic Cummings, yes. Yeah, they are a bit of a shambles. They are. How can people vote for Tories and only do that? It's not something new, is it, really? I'm not a leftist by any stretch, but... No, you are not, mate. (laughs) No, I think... I think... I think think you're leftist in a lot of values and a lot of ethics, but you obviously aren't a leftist in... What's the what's the best way to describe it in terms of kind of some some of your uh, I don't know how to put this actually I'll try to think but I, I guess I, I do think there's a lot of kindness around something and like of some of your ethics morals and values but obviously in terms of a lot of your mindset stuff you're probably not lefty in um, obviously you know we've had this conversation you do make the odd comment about things and which could be taken offence by people that's also why a lot of people like you and think you're funny but I guess you attract certain people is it, what's it, what is it is it, a, is it offense is offense given or received I don't know I've had this argument many times and I, I I'm actually not sure what the answer is it, it depends like, are you saying that you can't say certain things you know it's clearly like racist it's going to offend a lot of people in it a lot of countries <laughs> oh I thought you needed someone else then <laughs> no <laughs> but like you know, some people, some people just get too offended by any little little thing. Really, it's pathetic. Some people, anyway. But but anyway, I think all... yeah. I, just on that bit about offence, I think the problem is no, actually no, not the problem. But I, I think maybe the solution maybe lies. It's a lot of times, like a lot of we also say about nutrition, fitness, and that type of stuff, and well being. In that, it probably lies a lot in the middle. In that kind of either extreme extremes are probably not the answer. That's right. That's why so many the people who follow certain dietary approaches get offended when you say, actually, it's probably not the best way. What Actually, what you're doing is probably nowhere near the best. Stop spouting bullshit. Mm. But like keto, how people, how many people believe the keto is the best? I, I even see something the other day from a doctor. Right? You know, if people, or everyone's a doc, doctor or whatever. Muscle, so... <clears throat> He was talking about muscle gain, and he says, which is this is this statement is ludicrous. If you know anything about muscle gain, is like right, the best way to gain muscle is to fast, right? That's number one, and to keto. I'm like, what fucking planet are you living on? What planet are you living on? Do you think that is the best modality of diet to gain mass? It isn't. It's probably the worst you could ever find. And yeah. like, well, people I- because you got he's got a doctor in front of him. Maybe he's a doctor, a fucking dickhead, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. listen to that shit without any critical thinking. And this is why people get so fed. Like, a lot of people who are not necessarily into 
nutrition and academic or, or having much interest in how the body works, they will fall for this. And then when, because they can't critically think about nutrition, I mean, most a lot of people can't critically think anyway, but a lot of people, they, the brain just seems to stop working when it comes to nutrition. And they'll believe it, but when someone goes, actually, look at the evidence, they'll go, no, I don't believe that. Like, right. And they get offended when you try and not call them out even, but say, look, you probably better not look at that because it's wrong because of this, this, and this. You present the evidence when this other guy just presents a video of nothing, of bullshit. And they'll believe it. It's like, what health and game changers? People have got no idea about nutrition. I mean, no idea at all. Believe it as gospel, and then people who are professionals at it, like, even the PhDs in nutrition, well, that's wrong. Oh no, you must be wrong. Netflix said it's right. I'm like, you people, fucking retard, uh, retarded. Like, oh, can't, can't say God. that, Johnny. No, can't say that. But no. It's like, but it's, nutrition is the word. Nutrition, politics, and the coronavirus are the number the three where you will find the biggest idiots you ever come across <laughs> in terms of their thought process because they they're incapable. Of thinking properly, I think, I think like it's just those those topics, especially, just so I guess emotional for a lot of people. And you get like you know, you take some of the the, the more well known people that have certain advocates in the industry of, of dietary protocols, and you know, like people that really believe in the insulin hypothesis and carbs being the root of all evil for kind of diseases or obesity and, and all manner of stuff. And it's usually those individuals that have kind of some emotional connection to it because maybe like they're suffers like you look at tim noakes and tim noakes really smart intelligent dude clearly but he's so bought into the idea that carbohydrates cause um obviously insulin um secretion and insulin secretion is the reason as to why people are overweight and it causes like diabetes and all stuff because he watched his dad die of diabetes and he had diabetes himself and it's like he cannot see past those emotional connections to stuff, no matter what evidence is put in front of him. And almost, almost to a point where this like psychological phenomenon, I think it's called the backfire effect, where and we see it fucking daily. I'm swearing again. Um, we see it daily that anytime you have a conversation with someone on Facebook, you can almost never change their opinion because you put facts in front of people. And it will almost have the exact opposite effect where they will dig their heels in stronger into their position and won't consider any alternative. Like more more than if you like, they're actually stronger in their position now that you provided them with evidence. And you see it all the time with people, like over social media and stuff especially, to a point where you feel like it's just no point even having conversations on social media about stuff now because there is nothing I can actually do to kind of present you that would actually change your mind. Like, okay, I'm speaking generally, but to the point there, it's so common across people. It's very, very rare. Do you ever get someone open-minded enough to actually think about, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I'll look into that a bit more. Maybe you might be right. And maybe I was wrong. That like, that never happens, ever. No. But it's like, on the insulin, on the insulin hypothesis, it's like, <clears throat> okay, I listen to Broderick Chavez's podcast. Most people won't know who he is. However, he is, he is a biologist by trade and he deals with Olympic-level athletes across all sports. And he talks about <clears throat> how outside of a diet, what's the most important macronutrient, blah, blah, blah. And he says, right, protein has <clears throat> no hormonal response, really. Fat, no hormonal response. The biggest hormonal response there is, is carbs. So, and, 
he talks about right. If carbs are so bad, why do bodybuilders inject insulin and to get shredded and they shredded? So surely that puts to bed carbs make you fat straight away. Because top level, well, not even top level professional bodybuilders, mid range bodybuilders, even call them that, will jab insulin and they are shredded. So where does the this hypothesis come into that? It doesn't at all because it's ridiculous. I just you just got to look at like high end athletes and the amount of carbohydrates most of those consume. Yet incredibly lean, the majority of people. I mean, you look at any type of endurance athlete, like yeah. decent endurance athlete, will be pounding carbohydrates down. Yet you know they are maintaining a very lean and like body composition. You think to yourself, surely with when you think critically, you straight away think. How do they stay lean then? If if basically you you know the insulin hypothesis was real and that you essentially get fat or you you know you can't lose weight uh, just despite a calorie deficit or you can get fat um, without being in a calorie surplus, it's kind of like there's 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 walking examples everywhere you go that kind of completely disprove that theory. Yet people just kind of think mm, now nah, ignore that bit. You know you don't need you don't even need an RCT or a scientific study to basically go yeah there's there's a study there that proves you wrong because you can see it day in day out for many people like look at certain tribes in you know we talk about the blue zones where they're predominantly all their diet consists of carbohydrates in a lot of those places like Okinawa tribe in like japan like they're, they're eating probably something like 80 percent rice or something which is you know a very high gi like white rice a high gi um like, like carbohydrate source you think that immediately thinks like, well, why are they? They have very low rates of obesity or, or kind of any weight issues. It immediately, it's like, oh, okay, that disproves my theory. And but. people just they 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 they'll always find some really obscure, odd way to back up why they are <clears throat> why they are not fat or or something like that. I mean, yeah, like you said, but the athletes, how many how many how many professional athletes on earth? Rely on carbs, prop high ninety percent of yeah, all of them. Yeah, require carbohydrates um, to perform in these sports. Every, uh, pretty much every Olympic sport, all the running, cycling, swimming, all rely on carbohydrates. You, you, get, you get the odd freak that just seems to either prefer or just doesn't suffer from having like higher fat diets and lower carbohydrate diets or whatever. I mean, was it Zach Bitter? I think his name. He's like an ultra endurance athlete that runs hundreds and hundreds of miles at a time um or something like that anyway i think he i think he's done like 100 mile races and stuff like that and it's like you know he he he's essentially saying that he's like a carnivore diet or ketogenic all the time um and you know, like just you think to yourself well you know he, he a world record holder um like literally the pinnacle of that type of event almost yet they're not so there are obviously examples out there we don't need carbohydrates necessarily or but they are the the kind of anomalies or they're the exceptions most most professional athletes will benefit from having carbohydrates because of um, energy systems and the glycolytic energy systems and the fact that carbs are very good at it that you know producing energy yeah was it was it trent stellingworth mm-hmm. was he yeah. canadian olympic coach with a cycling team he's a he's a doctor of some description and he's a coach, and they was a study, and they compared fusion fat to perform, as in keto diets. They were five percent; it was five percent less efficient 
than using carbs. And a five percent less efficient at the top level means you're last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like last. Trent's work's really good because obviously he's also a big proponent of becoming like not adapted, but basically almost training multi modalities and and different energy systems that you kind of become a bit more effective using like fat and carbohydrates and stuff like that so there'll be periods of like training training low training high and what they mean by that is like training high carbohydrate training low carbohydrate because that way you're kind of training your energy systems to work a bit more efficiently in all these different ranges and different different energy systems so that um you kind of get hopefully trying to get the best of all of those rather than solely relying on being really efficient at carbohydrates but not very efficient at burning fat and vice versa I don't I just like on that before just because like this this reminds me of an anecdote of like, how like how people might understand that and how it might work in that not not say for energy systems but more I don't know if 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 other people that have, like consistently or habitually has like a low fat diet and then go and have like a big fatty meal how they feel like often I'll have like a I'll go out for food say on I don't know, birthday or whatever and have a like massive greasy burger and loads of like deep fried or fatty foods that habitually i don't consume huge amounts of usually and more often than not i feel really sick afterwards like not not sick like vomity sick just really full like i can't digest stuff properly i've often said to jenna i think a lot of that is that my body's not particularly efficient at kind of producing the enzymes to break down and basically digest that like volumes of fat that i then consume because i just don't eat it regularly that's almost like an analogy there of like how your body becomes efficient at processes is when you consume stuff and if you don't consume it then obviously have large influxes of those that you know like that fat as an example your body's not very good at it and it's the same with energy systems in that if you kind of go low carb uh, sorry ketogenic all the time and then just suddenly shuttle a load of carbohydrates in your body or vice versa your body's not going to be probably very good at then utilizing those carbs for energy and digesting them and efficiently and exactly the same. Like, like, um, like in India, it's quite high fat. There's all the crap over in there. I feel awful, even though it tastes nice. I'm like, oh, this is. I don't even eat that much of it anymore. If, if hardly ever. It's like so, I, so heavy. Yeah, I just find myself like I said to to Jenna. I think like I go out, have this fit food. Obviously, high salt content as well, and it makes me really thirsty. And then I drink a lot, and that drink kind of mixed with the food in my stomach and the fact that I don't feel like I break down those those fatty acids very well just makes my stomach kind of i don't know gurgle or churn a bit and be like oh jesus God, i feel full and i feel like the water's just all sitting all the drink i've just drunk is all sitting on top and i just feel like my stomach's expanding and i'm feeling sicker and sicker like happens almost like every time i have a big greasy meal um and i do think it's because just generally i prefer a higher carbohydrate lower fat diet like even I mean, now even now in a calorie surplus like i'm still reasonably low fat probably compared to most people because most of the foods i choose just happen to be lower fat Back to Broderick, and he talks about this. Uh, well, most people eat, eat coaches are very high carb, low fat. And by low fat, he means a gram per kilogram or less, or no more than a gram per kilo. Yeah. That's usually a minimum of 0.5. Yeah, but I was going to say, that's... low fat. Yeah, I was going to say, because a gram per kilo, I wouldn't say is hugely low. Um, but then again, going back to what we just talked about a minute ago, my kind of general opinion is probably lower than most. But yeah, I mean, I've always worked on the basis of a half gram per kilo is the absolute minimum you want to go, and probably don't want to be doing that either for long periods of time. No, what did he say? And his his thing was like really high carb, protein, and low fat. And he says with 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 protein, 
and when you ingest protein in carbs, there is something, there's a mediator in the middle, like for carbs to be, to be stored as fat, it, ha- it has to go through a process to get into the fat cells. With fat, it just goes in there. And that's his, and that's his, like, that's his, because he got his personal nutrition, that's, that's no need for any explanation more complicated than that. He just says, fat's easy to get, to, to put into fat. Carbs go through a process, protein goes through a process. So keep fat at a maximum of a gram per kilo. Yeah. And he talks about, um, he goes on and talks about the people who say, yeah, but you need a certain amount of fat to process your sex hormones. And he's like, yeah, like a thimble full. So don't worry about it. Because he's there. So people make it out like you need so much fat to process all your sex hormones. He said it's a tiny, tiny amount. It's nothing. It's not even like worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's like obviously, so obviously he's referring to you know, like Genesis or um, I suppose gluconeogenesis. Um, yeah. Obviously, where it's essentially they're the processes that are converting non-carbohydrate sources into carbohydrates or glucose, because obviously we need glucose to survive and our brain to function. Otherwise, we do die. Obviously, you can run off some ketones, but you still need some glucose. So if you you know while carbohydrates aren't necessarily essential because we do have those processes that mean you can you know take fat and convert it into carbohydrates um they are very inefficient processes and almost like a last resort which is also a lot of the reason you know we talk about higher carbohydrate diets are seen potentially to be less fattening in air quotes because it's it's our bodies are it's not a preferential um fuel source to store as body fat carbohydrates obviously it's difficult to do because it has to go through that process to convert to fat so you lose a bit more of the energy and calories in even converting that process and also your body will do it at a last resort and if anything it'll store which is get what old broderick chavez is saying it'll store the the, the dietary fat so the fat that you're consuming it'll store that first and use carbohydrates and even proteins for energy before it then decides it's going to use fat for energy because actually it's like well fat's easy to store i'll just store that as body fat because it is you know fat is fat it's already a fatty acid or and obviously it can be easily stored and it doesn't have to be converted almost whereas with carbohydrates and, and thingy that has to be converted so actually i'll just use that for energy and and obviously that's what then gets stored which is um again another reason why i prefer a lower fat diet and a higher cal- cal- um, carbohydrate diet for, for most people that are dieting as long as it's kind of meeting minimums which like Bro- uh, Broderick has said is actually quite low yeah. so you know it's, as long as you're meeting minimums which you are and I guess I mean there are some elements where you start you do have to kind of consider that if you're only doing minimum fatty acid intake to get them the right types and the amounts of kind of specific fatty acids um, which you know there isn't huge amounts of evidence on we know that because obviously the the actual research on fatty acids is pretty poor, um, but still to kind of get what people uh, is kind of reason reasonably widely accepted on on certain types of fatty acids is is more difficult if you're then not consuming a lot of them. Like any diet, I suppose. Like if you're dieting and you're consuming less food in general, it's harder to get micro-vitamins and minerals and and that type of stuff. Because um, if you end up like on a low calorie diet, but then use most of that on something that doesn't contain a lot of vitamins, it leaves you very little left to then get the amount of vitamins and minerals that you need to get in. In the same way as if you have a low fat, to get a wide range of polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, even saturated fats um, in the diet and all the different types of fatty acids that come under those those banners almost, 
it's, it's difficult because you're only consuming small amount of fats in the first place. So I suppose that's one thing to consider actually, albeit, you know, preferring a lower fat diet, you, you do have to consider that does lead you to a bit more risk of uh, not malnutrition, but obviously not getting the, uh, the, the, the right amounts or enough of specific fatty acids that will help with longer term health and that type of stuff. And now obviously in the short term, it isn't a problem. It's only in the longer term where it'd be a problem. But yeah. It's like people always, oh, they always ask, or they always try to find the perfect, perfect, perfect sort of diet where they want to build muscle, lose fat. But it does also come up what, you, what your preferences as well. You, everyone will have uh, a diet that they don't think about as such, they just do day to day that will either <clears throat> air towards the side of fat, higher fat foods or higher carb foods. And generally speaking, if you go with what you naturally do is easier to stick to, easier to prepare. I mean, if you go, if you're a high carbohydrate dieter and then you decide, oh, I'm going to go keto, the thing people don't think about is actually I've got to think of recipes now that keep me in keto that I've never really done before and just adds to me unnecessary thought processes in where you would just do it the way you normally do, stick to what you what you know works rather than doing some of this not obscene but obscure and extreme because you think that that's the the magic bullet to, to lose weight or gain muscle because in any diet you've got to be able to stick to it and the, the, the easier you make it for yourself to stick to obviously the, the easier you stick to it because yeah. this is critical you don't build muscle in 10 weeks, you build muscle over a ten, prolonged ten period. 10 years. Yeah, like a, career, like a career, if you think of your uh, gym career, if you're I mean, even relatively serious about getting bigger, you know, over 10, 50, over your lifetime, you'll gain, obviously it's exponentially, you know, quite good to gain muscle and you start, but at the end, you're probably not getting anything at the end, but you've got to, you've got to find something you can stick to rather than trying to find the magic bullet because the magic bullet is consistency over time like I know I talk about body but not because that's what I like but you don't see Mr. Olympia's under probably 30 years old 30 odd year old so they, they've been training 15 some, some of them even 20 years by that point and you, they start out don't get me wrong these guys start out large just get bigger and bigger and bigger but you don't you're not finished at 18, 19, 20. You're at a sport you could be in. You might start a sport at 10, but you might not make it. You look at football. People have kids start football at five and six in, 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 in Caribs at Liverpool, City, Man United. And they might get into the first team until they're 20. So they've got 14 years of working on their craft to be the best. It's, and it's, it's exactly like weight loss or muscle gain if you've been obese fat for 20 years don't think it's going to take you two months to get off because it won't it's going to be consistency over depending on how big you are or overweight you are over years and that's not a case of yes right i'm 25 stone i gotta get 15 or something you're not gonna lose 15 stone in the first sin of diet and you might go right i'll aim for five stone i'll maintain what i am for a couple of months sort of make friends with that body weight then I'll go again do the same again then go again which might take a couple of years mm-hmm. but the problem is with the diet industry and especially social media they make you believe that you can do 
extreme things very quickly and it, it hardly ever works maybe 99% doesn't work extreme consistently you have to have if you do things extreme you have to have an exit plan which people don't they find the extreme thing that makes them lose 10 stone in a year or whatever but then they don't know what to do if they done that and had an exit strategy it would probably work but the problem is people haven't got it they just think, right, I get to this particular weight, whatever it is, and they get there, like, well, right, what do you do now? They just go back to what they were doing before and gain another eight stone back. So you end up yo-yo dieting, stand your typical yo-yo dieter. I've seen people in our group say the same thing for years. I'm like, obviously these people don't get coached because I, I don't know why they just don't, but they end up in the same place they were four years ago, five yeah. years ago. Yeah, that, I mean, they're not, they're obviously not in a position to be coached in terms of kind of like motivation to change or kind of in that behavior change cycle. Um, they're just in there for the free recipes or whatever, I don't know. But bring it back to your comment around, I guess, like the, the, the kind of picking a, a type of diet that then helps improve your chances of adherence. I kind of figure like for most people, most people don't gravitate naturally one end or the other in terms of like preferring carbohydrates or preferring fats when i say like one end i mean like the extreme end so most people they might have a tendency to eat, prefer more carbohydrate foods and, and kind of all some might prefer high, um, higher fat fat foods but for the most part no one's so extreme where they get to a point where you would worry about them not consuming say enough fats um or even really not consume enough carbohydrates like most people if you just ate how they naturally chose to they'd still consume enough fats to be you know kind of hitting minimum levels and stuff um and the other point i was going to make is uh apparently the youngest ever i did take google for this youngest ever mr olympia winner was arnold at 23 years of age is he that young yeah that young obviously i don't know how how old he was in terms of training age and how old he was in terms of uh assisted um age but the oldest Mr. Olympia winner was Chris Dickerson in 18, uh, sorry, not 18, 1982. And he was 43. So probably, again, a bit younger than I might have, might have thought. Well, 23. Just think of that, a 23-year-old, you'd be, in, you'd be in a Mr. Olympia and you're at, what, 6'2", 17 stone on stage, 20, you think, pff, unbelievable. People train all their lives and won't get near it. Yeah. Won't get near it. I didn't realise as well that... Um... Um, Haney Lee Haney retired uh, retired at thirty one. Quite young. Thing is, after winning after winning eight Olympias, yeah. So there's me saying over thirty. Well, I'm talking about it, aren't I? <laughs> but it, it is amazing, really. Actually, I guess maybe he just looked a lot older as well. All, all the, well I mean, how was Dorian Yates? No, I don't think it says actually. Don Temme is in the twenties as well. I but we'll obviously we'll get on to this is a Q and A episode we've actually um covered almost one of the, t- the questions that we had but i'll we'll, we'll answer it but just before i do i was listening to ronnie coleman uh on a jre podcast this week and it's about old i think it's a couple of months old but um he was talking about how during one of the years of competing he had a dexa done i think oh, yeah. he said dexa maybe he didn't say dexa actually maybe i've made that up but basically he had his body fat percentage measured and he said on stage he was 0.4 percent body fat not point four, and I was thinking to myself, bullshit. <laughs> he's, he seems quite because he's, he's a cop, and, he, and he's got a, he's an accountant as well. So he's obviously 
intelligent and stuff, but like some of the stuff he said is like, mm, I don't think so, mate. Come well, on, no. yeah. I was like, not point four. I, I don't because he was like, I think Rogan was like, what? That's ridiculous. He said, what were you like, like mid season then or like off season? And he's like, I don't know, three percent or something. I was like, mm. no, you do like. He thing is he he was saying that as well that when he stopped competing, most times he just went like cold turkey, no drugs, stopped training for three months before then starting another season. And I, I guess you can have longer periods of not training and stuff when you're on drugs, but stopping the drugs and then also not doing any training or whatever else for for three whole months. And he said he just eating. Stay going to continue to walk around at three hundred and thirty pound off season. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on. No, he's probably keeping the drugs. Needed. He probably just not, he's not, he's not off as such, but he's just cruising and he's TRT and as a, well, I say TRT in, but there's a thing called sports TRT, which is like two or three times what TRT really is. So, but, but again, if he did stop, which apparently he did, um, it just shows that he's a genetic app. He's probably the best body that has ever lived. And he's a freak. He's bigger now. That ninety nine percent of the population would ever be twenty twenty years, and the guy is a cripple. You're talking about how his back is fused, or his spine's completely fused now, and there's like no discs between, or something like that. I think can't remember how he described it, but I think oh, that sounds. Um, Want to turn his neck odd. left, wouldn't he? Don't know. Yeah, I just I just thought Jesus, that's. I mean, obviously he's. I'm not saying that's the drugs, but he's fucked himself up, I guess, with the injuries and just obviously the weight he was shifting is just ludicrous. You know, lightweight baby. <laughs> but eight hundred pound deadlifts a week off the Olympia, eight hundred yeah. pound squat in for reps. They, they, I think there was something he said where he had an op or something done. I think at the time, I think he said this. I, I don't know if I misremembered it, but. And it's like within four weeks or something, he was squatting. I don't know. He said only only like three hundred pounds, five hundred pounds, or something, three hundred pounds. I was like, fuck, like a week, like two weeks after having a fucking spinal op or something, he's squatting like three hundred pounds. <laughs> and don't be wrong. Obviously, I guess I mean three hundred pounds. What's that? One hundred and fifty kilos. But still, it's one hundred and fifty kilos. Regard. I mean, I guess a man of his size and how strong he was, it's not that a lot. He's lightweight, but fucking hell. <laughs> the guy machine. If someone hasn't watched. Listen to this, you like boy, but then watch is it Redemption Ronnie Coleman? And he was like, I watched my first gun in training, and I was like, my god, this. I, well, I remember I'd never really seen a pro body, but I was about 17, 18, maybe. So I bought this, and I, and I, and the first scene, I think he's in the kitchen. I was like, oh, what is that? That is not a human, that is a gorilla. That is hit you like, this is unbelievable, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You know, like, I, 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 I just, oh, I don't, he's brilliant though. He's so fun to watch. I like, he's cool to listen to as well, like on the podcast. But like you say, he does talk some bollocks. It was a generous right? They said, right, if you could go back now and you could change it, so you wouldn't have an injury, would you change it? No. Yeah, of course you wouldn't. No. What makes, what, what makes me laugh is they were, uh, talking about how he got into bodybuilding and that he said he liked training stuff but he wasn't really into bodybuilding he didn't even really like it to start with and he was talking about how he only really started competing because uh, a dude I think who owned the gym he wanted to go to offered him a free membership if he did yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dobson yeah was that brilliant he was I think in, in the redemption video I think he's 
shoulder press in 150s, 160-pound dumbbells, something insane. You're like, oh, my God, for reps, like, benching two, 220 kilos for reps, squatting 800-pound, deadlifting 800-pound, shrugging. What is it, like 380 kilos or something insane? Don't be wrong, his form is not great, but that's probably why he's injured so badly, but... You, you... He's a tank. Yeah, you. I mean, you watch um, Pumping Iron, like the first one, and you watch like Arnie and Columbo. Was it Columbo? Who was he training with? I can't remember who he was training. I think it was Columbo. Um, oh, was it Franco the... Columbo? Or was it? No, who? No, is that? Oh, it's. Um, oh, and he's squatting it? with Ed. Eddie. Oh. Oh, I can't remember his name. No. I can see it. You watch them, you think to yourself, mm, that, that is very questionable. Uh, form on most of their exercises to a point where you're like if that was a client of yours you'd be going no 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 we'll strip all this back we'll start again because this is ridiculous but I guess like genetics drugs and all the stuff just get away with it plus I mean people are going to hate me saying this but you stick Arnie up against a fucking Sean Roden or someone nowadays like you wouldn't compete no I wouldn't compete like you know, but who's the give, last guy? One, Brandon Curry. On the last Brandon one, Curry. If we give Arnold the drugs that they've got now, he'd beat them all. Well, probably, yeah. Although, who knows how many drugs they were taking at the time? But well, at least to call the Dan of all the breakfast of champions, today. Mm. It's a handful of no handful. I mean, bear in mind this is a this is a oral, and it will hurt your liver quite substantially if you take a lot of them. But apparently, they weren't. Well, if you listen to Brod, because he's, that's his thing. He said back then they weren't using testosterone at all. They were using other compounds. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. the thing is, though, there's this myth that testosterone is like the only thing that can build muscle. Well, it's not true. There's lots of things that can, that kind of, like lots of compounds and lots of hormones yeah. that will uh, help build muscle. It's not just that. I mean, even insulin to, a, to, a, to an extent, like you say, injecting insulin. But anyway, we've gone way off for a fucking a good amount of time here, Johnny. A very good okay. amount of time, um, and this was supposed to be a Q and A episode. Somehow we're four, thirty-eight minutes in. Outrageous. Yeah. Shall we? Um, shall we do a couple? Well, we did one of the questions we had. Uh, well, what are the best fats to consume? Um, I think we kind of covered that a little bit in terms of the, <laughs> the, the content. Uh, maybe we'll quickly run over yeah. what are the best fats to consume. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but we just wanted to let you know that we're currently accepting applications to work with any of our coaches to help you lose weight and get shredded or build muscle and get jacked. If you want to know more, just head over to nnncoaching.com forward slash apply. No contract lengths, just evidence-based coaching to make sure you get the results you've always been after. Do you want me to Just have a varied diet that includes lots of like, like fatty fish, nuts, all things, all diff, all like avocados, varying sort of food sources, and just totally avoid trans fats. Yeah, no, I don't think it's real. Like, oh, you've got to have this much. The, I was, was going to say, I was, was going to say something similar because I think the issue is, um, obviously, you've you've kind of got your ma- your main molecular structure of fats in terms of your uh, saturated fat, non-saturated fat. Obviously, non-saturated fats are broken down into your, your polyunsaturated and monounsaturated, um, and then probably a shit ton of other molecule fats 
broken down from the next level or layers on. Um, the issue is any types of foods you consume, as in fat sources from foods, aren't just a fat. They are generally a lot, a big mixture of lots of fatty acids. So, and the profiles of those fatty acids will be different on the food sources. So, it's so difficult to say eat this fat because, or eat this food because you'll get this fat. No, you eat this food, you'll get this fat, this fat, this fat, this fat. You just get a bit more of that fat and this fat. So, it does get to a point where it's, it's really impractical to actually suggest the best fats to consume for anyone and it just comes to a point where actually we know that you do need a varied um like, like or a variety of different fat sources in terms of the types of fatty acids and it's probably going to be more hassle that's worth trying to really optimize that and actually just trying just like johnny said vary fat sources um probably limit the amount of animal derived fat sources just because you don't want to overdo saturated fats potentially for from a health perspective um, and obviously try and eat as many kind of plant-based fat sources as possible but you also want to make sure you kind of get in some um, I think if there's any any practical advice I maybe give on that is from experience um, most people tend to under consume kind of the omega-3s and kind of that side of the polyunsaturated fats and we probably as, a, as western diets tend to be a bit higher on the omega-6 and 9s and it's kind of thought that you want a decent ratio like a more one-to-one two-to-one of those fats rather than we're probably a lot higher in the 6 and 9s than we probably would like to be so the ratio is a bit skewed so you probably do want to make sure that you're consuming some um, kind of omega-3 fats or, or focusing a bit more on that because it'll probably balance the, the the ratios out a bit better um, and they are the things like Johnny said, really, your um, like fatty fishes, fatty fishes, fatty fish, um, some some nuts, um, not all, but some nuts. Um, what else do you get your omega-3s from? Basically, mostly your plant-based sources, I suppose, like avocados and, yeah, anyway. There's a variety of fats, basically, isn't it? And just, uh, if you can avoid trans fats, then avoid it. Yeah. Okay. They are junk crap. That you don't ever want. No, the, the, the evidence on trans fats are is quite overwhelming. I think in that they are detrimental for health. That's the only fat we'd say avoid. Specifically, just try and avoid it. And for the most part, especially in the UK as well, um, you can't really sell it or market it in food uh, products anymore. So you don't you don't tend to find it much in in. I mean, there's naturally occurs occurs a little bit in some animal products, but you know, in so little amounts where you probably don't need to worry about it. Um, but for kind of your store-bought stuff which is effectively what trans fats were hydrogenated vegetable oils and stuff like that basically oils that hydrogen pass through them which then makes them solid at room temperature they do make foods a lot um, more storable last longer cheap to make that type of stuff which is why they were often stuck in things like your muffins and cakes and all things that are tasting delicious but not overly great for our health so and supplement with omega-3 that's probably the other thing yeah supplement with oil whatever Make it easier, then you've got to worry. Again, so that make that does make things a bit easier to terms of then thinking if you're if we know that most people are under consuming omega three, supplement with it, and then you're probably okay. Yeah, it's, it's easy. I mean, you can even even t- if if you if you can hack it, you can have it in liquid form. I don't recommend it. Uh, or just take it in tablets. I means they fairly. I mean, bulk powders. My probably not always do deals on. I mean, like, I think I think about a thousand. Not long off, like thirty quid, something like that. And that's going to last you, depending on when you take a day, for a long time. Mm. long time. So let's move on to the next question. Um, how much protein should I consume if I want to gain muscle? Now, we'll definitely answer that many times. There's probably a whole episode on it. But let's give a quick, short, sharp answer. Johnny? 
as an average, probably two grams per kilo of body weight mm-hmm. as an average. However, there are, I did listen to, as again, Broderick seems to be my, my, my biggest, I'm his biggest fan lately, it seems. But he talks about <clears throat> even moving up to like three grams a kilo, depending on how hard you're dieting, what your genetics are like, if, you, if you're using drugs or not. Like he would refer to someone who is not using drugs, dieting, and terrible genetics. He would he would put them at a higher level, like maybe up towards three grams a kilo. But for, as an average, if you shot for two grams a kilo of body weight, then you you'd be all right. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, literally basically says anywhere from one point four to well two point two generally be the the kind of like the workable upper end although there is literally obviously it shows up to you know three three point two is still harmless but maybe shows um no real step benefit over two point two for the most part um i i take i tend to go for the two point two but i think it there's this argument i guess as well if you're not in a deficit as well you probably need a bit less than maybe if you're in a deficit because carbohydrates are protein sparring so if if you are if depends how big you are as well if you're well not to mean how big you are but if you're in a in a large surplus, you can see a large amount of carbohydrates, and you, you could probably get away with having a little bit less. Well, you got. I was just going to say you've got obviously the issue when you're in a deficit, you have a dampened MPS response compared to those that aren't in a deficit. So this kind of idea that to build muscle you need to be, be in like a, a positive um, protein balance, which is obviously your 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 protein synthesis versus the protein breakdown that basically happens um continuously throughout the day um if you're having a dampened synthesis response which is the positive side then you're more likely to be in a negative at the end of kind of a time period or over time therefore it's harder to build muscle in a deficit because of that reason so when you're in a surplus because you don't have that dampened response to, to protein synthesis the idea is that actually you probably need less protein to get the maximum response out of so you're basically less anabolic, anabolically resistant compared to someone that's in a diet. So therefore, the idea is you should probably need less protein when you're in a surplus compared to when you're in a deficit. But, you know, we kind of, a lot of it's not theory, but it's kind of like we're, we're hypothetically speaking. And therefore, you know, the practical take is what we're saying, really aim for your two-ish grams, you're probably good. And make sure of a, a decent amount of protein servings of the day. Like one is probably, well, it's definitely not optimal. Eight is probably unnecessary, but if you eat between four and six meals a day, then you're getting enough frequency of feeding into mm-hmm. you know, maximize NPS. And <clears throat> bear in mind, you've got to refactor a period of a few hours as well. So eating eight times a day is probably not optimal. Mm-hmm. Just like it isn't maybe four to six is probably well, three to six evenings in the in the right area. But again, you can as the average girl or bloke looking to gain a bit of muscle. It's a difference between three and four meals across your lifetime. Really, gonna make much difference to your muscle gain? Probably not. No, I would say like if because of the the structure that most people generally tend to have, if they make sure they just have a decent serving of protein with their normal structure of meals, you're probably right. As in three, if you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then maybe add one in before bed or something, because um, or you know another point in the day if it suits in terms of timings, that's probably as close to optimal as you can get without then causing a lot of hassle because you're having to try and force feed protein servings or worry about having 17 meals a day like naturally i mean if you obviously if you're the type of person that doesn't eat breakfast has a late lunch um and then just has 
you know, like a tea before dinner, and then you only end up having two servings a day, and one of those is really late in the day. You're thinking, well, maybe you know, over the longer term, I'm missing out a little bit by not having at least a protein serving when I wake or breakfast, or sometimes earlier in the morning. So you might want to then start to think, well, actually, I will. But if you're just normal breakfast, lunch, dinner, you're probably okay. You said, and then it's easy enough just to maybe for shape for bed or something, and then brilliant, four servings in, lovely. Um, next question then what do you use or do you would you recommend any pre-workouts I used to there was a there used to be one called Craze no, Pistol or Jack Jack 3D or Divisional Jack I tried so Jack 3D or was it just Jack the first one Jack 3D the first one I think yeah the first ever one that, that was good but I had someone called Craze that's because it, it was illegal mate yeah but Craze um, was found to have a bit of amphetamine in it. I thought, Christ, this is good. And yeah, it was did, good. Didn't, it was Jack, didn't Jack have amphetamine or something? I think I'm sure that had amphetamine or something like that. Probably. But they were good back then. Even that's like at least 10 years ago. So we all, they all, well, you still get all the fit pros nowadays going, oh, do you remember the original Jack? Oh, that's a banger that was, wasn't it? Yeah, great. Yeah. If you really, if you really want it, they all did all. Uh, much or muchness, they've all generally got the same stuff in the bet. What people are, what people think are the better ones generally just have more caffeine in. Like, is it Rich Piano's 5150? It's got some like 500 milligrams of caffeine in it. I mean, like, you are going to feel that, especially if you don't drink caffeinated beverages. Generally, you will feel that. That'll do like a train well, 500 milligrams. Big, big Dan regularly dumps one hunter, one hunter, as he calls, right. uh, as in. As in, no, uh, a thousand milligrams, so a gram of caffeine, which is obviously, I mean, he's a big dude. And obviously that still only works out at it well within the kind of studied or re- the research, the recommended amounts based on the, re- the literature. Obviously, if, you know, what we would say for any performance benefit, you're looking at three to six milligrams per kilogram. Now, at his heavier end, he's in the 120 odd kilos. So even at si- like top end of six, milligrams you know that's still what's that six times 120 so that's like 720 oh it's my math but that's 720 milligrams so you know he's only just over really at a thousand or like a gram of caffeine he's only really just over that top end and that sounds ridiculous the amount of caffeine it is but it's because he's a big dude mm. does he have if there was a nine storm female he'd have some problems no, no. he'd be shit like a shitting dog after yeah. that i i regularly like this morning say i probably took uh, two scoops of bodybuilding warehouse stuff I've got what's that called Rage uh, which I to be fair actually for its price bear in mind it's dirt cheap is pretty good actually in terms of the doses of the ingredients um, and we'll talk about that in a sec but that's got I think so two scoops I think one half scoops is 300 milligrams so another half scoop that's another third so another 100 so 400 milligrams and then I did have a, an energy drink afterwards so I had 550 milligrams this morning but prior to legs and so and obviously I weigh 73 odd kilos or whatever I can't remember what it is in kilos now but something like that so again at the 6 end what would that be since so that'd be about 420 so that's so again I'm probably actually over above that actually thinking about it over above the 6 grams uh, 6 milligrams never go anywhere near 6 grams never no no I, I am I am a habitual caffeine like a high habitual caffeine like intake drink or coffee drinker and stuff so I guess my tolerance is reasonably high. But. So, you know, what do I take it? Is it you know, in the gym, they got, there's a local company 
I know, yeah, pretty local colour kind of miles away from me. What's it called? It's a really colourful, like typical pre-workout mental packaging. They all like could, that, mate. Yeah, you can buy pre-workouts as, as you go in and just give you a cup and they'll just chug it in, put a bit of water in and the job done. I so said, I'll have two scoops on it and look to the, I took it, look to the back. 300 milligrams per serving, I had two was going, oh, this is going to be interesting. Because, yeah, yeah, but it got to a point where it was, it was, a, I was about 90 kilos at the time, which is a bit, it was a bit too much. The thing is, like, so talking about the ingredients, we've obviously done episodes of this before, but essentially for your pre-workouts, the most effective ingredient, like Johnny's said already, is caffeine. So that's usually going to be the thing that has the most ergogenic effect out of all the other stuff in there. Yes, there's a few things like citrulline malate or creatine, but they're not time-dependent, so they don't really actually need to be in pre-workouts. Um, they're stuff that you actually take over time and, um, I guess, more they saturate muscles and therefore obviously they're not reliant on kind of being in, in the moment or acutely kind of taken out of time of workout. Um, there's some pump formulas that kind of do help blood flow and, and like open blood vessels, that type of thing, which, you know, might have some benefit, but I don't think there's really any literature to show that they actually improve hypertrophy, but you do get a bit of a pump. And I guess they're in pre-workouts because it makes people feel like shit is working because, oh, yeah, look, I'm getting a really good pump here, better than usual. Um, I guess that's the vasodilators doing their job and allow more blood flow in and that type of thing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, in the same way they put in um, usually quite a lot of, uh, what you call it, beta alanine, um, another lactate or, or hydrogen buffer. I think it's hydrogen buffer, but um, that obviously the side effect is paresthesia, isn't it? And you get face tingles and stuff if you take too much. And again, I think another reason it goes into pre-workout is because, oh my God, my face is itching. This must be the best pre-workout ever, man. It's like, yep. well, no, it's just your face itching, mate. It doesn't actually mean you're going to work out well or it's actually going to have any Im- Im- improvement in hypertrophy or muscle gain. But so it kind of keeps coming back to, well, okay, you could just buy caffeine in and maybe you should because that's probably, like I said, the only thing with, a, you know, there's so much research and showing the benefit of caffeine to for um, positive benefits for exercise and performance. Then obviously, you know, they, I say that is the most effective stuff, but yeah, you do need to take a decent amount of it to get that ergogenic effect because a lot of people are like, okay, I'll just have a coffee then. Well, you're not going to be hitting anywhere near even the three milligrams just from one coffee. Like even an energy drink, a monster, 150 grams of caffeine in a monster, say. So if you work that back, a 50 kilo, like to even hit the bottom end, you'd need to be a 50 kilo person to hit the bottom end for a can of monster. That's a small female. Yeah. So like, okay, if you're a small female, then you could possibly get an ergogenic effect from a can of monster. But if you're 80 kilos, say, then you're probably only hitting two milligrams, you know, less than two milligrams per kilogram, which obviously has shown no real ergogenic effect. So, you know, and I'd argue a lot of people, especially if you're a habitual drinker, might need to go into, although actually I'll take it back. I was about to say you might need to go into the higher end, the six milligrams. But actually there is some research, there's a couple of studies out there now that does show that regardless of habitual intake, you still get an ergogenic effect. So you might not feel it in terms of stimulation or, or kind of like that. Um uh, well, yeah, stimulatory effect that you get with, like, if you if you're not a regular caffeine drinker, but you should still get the performance benefits. So, which is and good, good to know. People are going to buy them. If you're looking at that as a proprietary brand, I probably wouldn't buy it because they're not telling you how much of it is in there. So there are there are supplements that do do something, but in certain dosages, like if it's no point, no point five grams of beta alanine, and there's pointless even in there because it's not enough. You've got to take five grams a day, although don't do it in one go, as I found out many times, hence the paresthesia comment I made around your face wanted to be finished off. But anyway, yeah. So if it's a pride, you probably want to steer away from it. 
I would say, because you they just trying to pull the wool over your eyes of what's actually in it. And you've got to think, you've got to question yourself then, why are they doing it? Probably because the shit that's in there doesn't do anything. And they're just going to charge you for something that doesn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, is it, uh, also, De Novo, so they seem to be pretty decent. Is it De Novo? Yeah, yeah. So I guess the actually answer the question. So yes, I do use pre-workout. Uh, do I recommend any? Probably only really a couple. Um, so as in terms of the, like, actual researched benefits at at research level dosages then yeah de novo um either well ignite is their actual pre-workout ready for gym they've got utopia which is kind of more for cognitive function but to be honest it's got the things in it that you'd probably want for pre-workout aka caffeine but i did like ignite because it has your hemby in it as well which um i like but i also like the fact that they and you start to see it a bit more common now paired caffeine with theamine and theamine just takes the edge off caffeine so like you said about the oh this is going to be a bit much if you do suffer from kind of a bit too much overstimulation from caffeine you get jittery which obviously then takes the focus away from a workout because all right it's all well and good being absolutely stimulated up to your fucking eyeballs but if you're then so stimulated that you just jitter and you can't concentrate and your exercise and your form is all over the place then obviously it's going to have a negative effect theamine does seem to take the edge off so it's quite nice so you get the stimulatory effect of the caffeine but the theanine then takes the edge off and makes you less jittery so they kind of pair quite well together and obviously that's what um the Nova has but to be honest like i use rage from bodybuilder wales just because it has um high level of caffeine um a decent like i think the dosages in it of creatine beta alanine and whatever else are at like research level the problem is is those things you have to take regularly anyway and you're not going to obviously be taking pre-workouts necessarily every single day or multiple times a day you might have to for something like beat your alanine to get a uh an ergogenic effect from so that then does make it a bit redundant even though the dosage is all right you have to then take it too much or take it regularly which you just don't do so again it just it just keeps circling back really like pre-workouts are expensive fancy flavored drinks to deliver caffeine basically which you can probably find and albeit I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I do take pre-workouts, um, you can probably find less expensive ways of doing it, as in just buy caffeine tablets. Pro like Party the caffeine as well, but sometimes it is a psychological boost that you've added, so you think, oh, I've had this now, so I'll have a better workout maybe. And they, 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 I think they are, they do help, especially if you're tired and, oh, I don't really feel like it. Then you take it and the caffeine kicks in and go, oh, it's a good workout to then. I think you probably don't need to take them all the time, but like maybe on leg days or something like that, or when you're tired, they 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 do they do help. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them as such, but if you're gonna just don't go spending fifty quid now, it's like well, is it really worth it? No, that a millionaire do really well, you know. But if it's the case of should I buy a fifty quid pre-workout or I don't know. Buy some whey and amigas, and probably buy the whey and amigas because they'd last longer, and you can do a lot more with whey than you can with pre-workouts. You can't make brownie pre-workouts. Yeah, but disgusting. don't don't make whey brownies either because they're probably just as fucking disgusting. No, I've done them and they are nice. Uh, Johnny, you got fucking low standards, mate. I've done it for, for a long time, I mean. I, I any any type of protein cookie nowadays, I've I think I've found over years and years of experience, they're never as good as they sound. Uh, that even includes oh. putting whey in your porridge that especially that actually like why ruin great oats by sticking cr- grainy whey in it that just makes it go fucking disgusting just drink your protein and shake on the side it's simple i do put that whey in my um 
Oats, Oats. you're dead to me, Johnny. You're absolutely dead to me. Next, you're going to be telling me you stir it in your yogurt. Actually, it's not too bad in your yogurt because at least it does dissolve in a bit Ooh. better. I just, just yeah, and it's cold as well. Like putting way into like warm oats just the texture goes funny and it never tastes it always sounds like a, like if you get a nice or a fancy sounding uh flavor of whey you're like oh yeah that sounds good that sounds brilliant porridge let's have that and then you do it and you think nah, this is never as good as it sounds i'd rather just have normal oats and actually just like say just drink it on the side no answer happy mate you got no answer no i don't mind yeah i think it's all right put a bit of whey oats blueberries peanut butter honey uh my left hamstring just cramped <laughs> mid podcast. Oh, hamstring cramps are awful. Ooh, especially when you're sitting down. It's like, oh my god. It once happened to me at a football game. I was watching Liverpool Spurs on a Wednesday night, and I trained legs in the morning and drove four hours to Anfield. And I sat there, and it's a cold, like it's fucking really cold night as well. And uh, I remember getting it cramped in, obviously in the little uh, bleacher seats. And my hamstring went, and I couldn't get up, and I was in like ah, just screaming basically because I couldn't obviously get up to straighten my hamstring out and obviously relieve the cramp. And in the end, there's like there was people around me going, "What the fuck is he doing?" I'm like trying to stand up in this fucking stadium. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> that's just like the, the the obviously training legs that morning, and obviously long drive, cold weather, and it was just like I, just, I think obviously just straight, uh, went to move, and that just went. I was like, oh my god, this is the most painful moment in my life. Oh. Awful, isn't it? Yeah, it is terrible. Remember when I did uh, uh, I was a 90 mile bike ride, I didn't train for it, so I just couldn't do it. Great didn't, idea, mate. Yeah, no training, didn't have enough fluids. Well, I thought I'd drunk enough, but I was didn't. I took a few. Uh, you probably drank too, you probably drank too much, not enough electrolytes. Yeah, I, t- I took some of that, took a few of them, but not enough. And I got on top of the, I think it's a, the hill is about, I don't know, three or four miles long, and it's, it's enormous. My God, my God. And as I got the top of it, and I cramped from my calf to my hip, and I was—I couldn't move. I was on the deck. As a guy came up to me, he said, oh, "Do you want to uh, do you want some left?" I said, "Yeah," and some carbs. Tell you what, this gel—it's just a standard gel, right? But I literally within a minute, right, it gone. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it was gone. Oh, my God, that is. We would say, "Oh, I need a pre. I need an intro workout." You don't, because you don't train hard, and like, you don't even train hard enough or long enough in the gym to even warrant it. But in that, when it was like four hours in, it, it was like a, it was like yeah. a life. I, I had that once, I think, a few years ago uh, when I kind of had a period of where I just didn't run and I didn't really enjoy running. Not that I enjoy running now, but I do obviously do try and do a bit of running for cardiovascular health um, and the challenge, really. But I was then signed up and took a last-minute place from my brother-in-law's friend to do a, a 10K in Norwich. Like the, there's a, a Norwich run, or run Norwich is called. And uh, bear in mind, I hadn't run in like well over a year, a couple of years, like any any appreciable diff- distance. I thought, hmm, this is like Sunday, and there's like the, I was like a week before. I thought I better do something. I'll tell you what, I'll go out and I'll do a run on the Wednesday just to get something in my legs and distance in my legs. So then when I come and do the run, the, like uh, sorry, do that on the Wednesday, and then obviously if I come the Sunday, I'll have recovered and at least I'll have some extra benefit for some training, even if it's only one session. But I got a bit carried away and I decided I ran down to this lake that is not far away from my office. And then I got to a point where I decided I need to either turn back now or I need to go. If I go around the lake, the distance is probably a bit longer than I want. But I thought, I feel quite good. I'll go around the lake. I ended up literally doing like basically the 10K, which I obviously hadn't run that far. And when I finally finished getting back, my both my hamstrings, I'm not even joking, instantly cramped when I st- as soon as I stopped running. Like to the point, even to the point where my like the cadence stops and then boom, cramp kicks in. 
And then, because I then tried to straighten out my hamstrings, to, to my quad started cramping. And that was like, I was in that really horrible moment where whichever way I moved, even my quads or my hamstrings were cramped. And I was just like, I reckon people watching me from the sidelines probably thought, what does that twat look like? And he's like, yeah, it looked like a stick man or like a tin man. Legs were like trying to keep my legs as straight as possible. No bend in the knee. Just, oh, 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 oh hamstring, oh, quad, oh, hamstring. No, just could not. Uh, it took me about five minutes just standing there like an absolute lemon until it eventually subsided enough to hobble back to my office. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that again. That was really hot as well. It was a roasting hot day. I remember thinking the car's like, 30 degrees or something running in this heat and obviously that didn't help either so things on there it's awful yeah it's cramps the worst thing ever um anyway we have still got four more questions to answer which bear in mind we've gone over the hour mark now i say we park them for another episode so yeah um i'm just gonna add finally for those that haven't seen me on my social media eat lean released a new product i know it's my baby it talked about it again in another episode but they released a new product, grilled cheese. And Johnny, what I will say is it is phenomenal. Very good. It is a replacement for halloumi. So for anyone that wants to try, go try it. Genuinely, it's fantastic. Um, Johnny's just eating a dry wrap by the looks of it. We've, we're talking about high carbohydrate diets. Literally nothing else but a wrap. Lovely. Um, <laughs> you can yeah. stick some Nutella in it or something. Um, 407 grams. 407 grams what carbohydrates yeah that's not a lot no it's not no. um it's only 600 calories worth but anyway um i was talking about grilled cheese halloumi johnny it is fantastic well worth trying for people to do it 40 percent less fat i think than your standard halloumi i can't remember what it was i think i had 100 grams of it which was more than enough to go in a like a toasty um and it was something like 250 calories and 35 grams of protein so it's decent and i would say it was very like very similar hardly any different to normal halloumi so had that really nice crispy outside and like a squeaky middle texture lovely fair play they seem to be doing uh good things all clean. i yeah i saw dan mac uh, our friend dan had posted about his muscle food affiliate um and he said about how he doesn't like talking about it because he feels a bit of a sellout and i feel a little bit like that when i talk about eileen but he also then said and this is also how i feel about eileen that he doesn't he sometimes corrects himself and like convince himself is fine because he genuinely does like the products and he buys them or would buy them anyway in the same way as that i used to always buy lean products and i would buy them now if i had to pay for them so and it's food yeah, yeah and it's food you know it's not and they, they, you know, they are they all got a benefit or a place to have them you know we're not trying to sell you supplements that don't fucking work and have no evidence by them we're just saying it's food and it's enjoyable if you don't like them don't fucking buy them simple as that yeah they're good. Yeah. They are. Okay. But I, I do, I do wonder sometimes whether I overreg it and whether people get the products and think, oh, they're not as good as he makes out. Maybe it's just I'm, I just like it so much. But I don't know. I don't think I am. I do generally try to be as unbiased or as accurate as I can with kind of like reviews or my opinions on them. Um, yeah, because people are, are used to the taste of cheese, mm. and um, what it is, it's not cheese, but well, it is cheese, but it's not the same thing. No, it's, it's a low-fat cheese. It's a 3% fat cheese, in fact. Not even a low-fat. It's an almost no-fat cheese. Now, to do an almost no-fat cheese to taste like a full-fat cheese is kind of a bit of an oxymoron. It's, like, you know, it's obviously not going to be possible. You can't make a chicken taste like a jar of Nutella, can you? If you could, chicken would be nice. Yeah, well, I was going to say, can you imagine having a jar of Nutella that was 
Uh, I don't know how much like forty percent protein or fifty percent protein or whatever chicken breast actually is. You know, like you get a jar, you get a serving in Nutella for two hundred calories, and that's forty grams of protein. You'd be like, brilliant! I'm spreading that on everything. Yeah, but it's have they tried? They, they've probably tried to do a protein Nutella. Oh yeah, yeah. The muscle muscle food themselves actually did a protella, and I'll be honest, it was grainy and rank, and it actually wasn't even that high protein. Or actually, uh, grenade. They obviously yeah. did their what was it? Their spread killer carb killer spread or what? No, is it carb killer? No, it wasn't carb killer spread. Or was it some sort of spread anyway? Six fifty a pot, and it's expensive, yeah. But that was Take, like that was like you get a serving size. Yeah, a serving is uh, yeah, well, uh, slightly higher protein, but yeah, very high fat and just lower carbohydrates because I guess they obviously try and you know part of their brand being low carb, isn't it, or lower carb? Um, and to be fair, tasted like like the chocolate one tastes like cake batter, like raw cake batter. Didn't even enjoy it. Not very nice. It's just not. I mean, they've had a bit of pro, a bit of whey protein in there, probably, which is peanuts to add, and they're going to charge you like, triple they, what a normal tub of Nutella is. I think they probably just added peanuts, mate, and that's where they get their protein from. <laughs> that was that sort of level. Yeah, it was like it's one of those things where, like, a, you know, like a serving size of what you would use, and let's just say a serving size. I don't know, spreading it on a round of bread or something. It was like eight percent or eight grams of protein. Sorry, it's like. Mm, so you're telling me that for me to get a amount of protein, and that's assuming it's a quality source of protein as well, but an amount of protein that's going to stimulate something like muscle protein synthesis, because that's what I'm interested in. That's why I'm eating protein to try and gain muscle. I'd need to consume about 700 calories of the stuff. Yeah, you do. Okay, excellent. The world, you know, No, exactly. To get a 440 gram, 30 to 40 gram thing, you've got to consume like over 500 calories. Like That doesn't really work in the real world, unless you're just fucking on bulking calories your entire life. You don't give a shit, but for most people, it's not. They, they obviously, you better off focusing a bit like my example of a whey shake and porridge. You better off focusing on foods and getting your protein from somewhere else. Have some Nutella. Have a little bit of Nutella that you really enjoy, and just get some protein from somewhere else rather than trying to Frankenstein the stuff out of something else. Which is basically how I feel about diet foods mostly nowadays. Um, and I think that's maybe why I like to eat lean so much because they aren't really Frankenstein foods at all. They're actually just good swaps where, like, you weigh up this like sacrifice ratio to like the benefits aka like does it really taste that much worse than cheese that you to where you think it's not worth having and i don't miss the case of eating i would say the sacrifice you make in any type of taste and quality isn't anywhere near big enough compared to the actual benefit you get from such a good high protein product with like the nutritional content that it does have whereas obviously other things like you know the example i made about again the way like protein in porridge I think you just you the sacrifice is too much to not to then basically do it. So therefore, I'd be rather just have a whey protein shake and then just have less porridge oats, say, or something like that. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and I certainly ain't gonna be making protein brownies that way. Blah. <laughs> I'm not. I tell you that. Um, although, I guess a lot of people do put things that might make it a bit better. I always find the textures are rank. That's the problem. Rubbery or dry or whatever else, but. I guess some, if you're good at baking, maybe you could probably make it a bit better because people put in things like quark or Greek yogurt, which maybe make the textures a bit better. I don't know, but I'm not very good at baking, so. It's never the same. My what you put in is never the same. No, no. I guess that's my point, really. It's never the same. Although, like I say, with cheese, it's not the the, the it's close enough for it to be worth the sacrifice. Yeah, but. it's not. Anywho, NNN10, go get your grilled cheese. That was a fucking long, long plug there, wasn't it? It's like a 10 minute plug 
longest plug we've ever done. Well, we did go on to a different conversation, to be fair. We did go on to talk about other stuff. So, uh, On that note, let's say au revoir, bonjour, auf Wiedersehen, and toulou, or whatever else you like to say. Rivederci. Ta-da. We say ta-da. Ta-da. Enjoy your lockdown. Um, obviously, ho- hopefully, no, hopefully the gyms will open soon. Um, maybe. Maybe. Right. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.